welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Good times can be way more dangerous than bad. When times are good and resources are abundant, it's easy to assume that the abundance will continue forever. It's also easy to forget the author of the abundance and think we did it all on our own. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, Faith Walking, with this message entitled, The Enemy of Faith Walking, which covers 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. Thank you for joining us today. We're in a a series, if you're new with us, welcome, glad to have you. Uh, The series is entitled Faith Walking, Faith Walking. You know, it, uh, it is a challenging thing to faith walk. Faith walk means that you walk not by sight and not by your feelings and what you think and feel good about, what seems secure, but you're walking in a way that says, I don't, I don't have it physically in front of me to see or to know or to understand how this is going to work out, but I'm going to go in a direction that I believe would honor God, what he has called me to do, and you take a step. And sometimes, often, it's a scary, scary thing. This series on faith walking has five different principles that we're looking at through the Old Testament, looking at the the nation of Israel, and we're watching their faith walk. Hebrews 11 says, all of these stories are given to us as examples that we might build our own faith. So let's look at these people. Let's see what they were doing and how their faith walk has progressed. So here are the first three that we've been through. We're in week four now. I want to walk through them very quickly with you. Just as a reminder, first, faith walking when it seems impossible, Numbers 13 and 14. Faith walking focuses on the will of God rather than the insurmountable obstacles, principle one. Number two, we talked about getting prepared for a faith walk. Now we're in the book of Joshua, chapters four and five. In principle number two, Faith walking requires significant time alone with God, remembering what God has said and done. There's going to be no faith walk unless we have a strong belief in who God is, we see what God has said, and then we spend enough time with him that we find the ability to take those steps into the darkness. Very scary. We talked during that week about the memorial that was made by a stack of stone by the Israelites, and that was to remind them of the greatness of God and all he had done and all he had promised and so forth and so on. So we introduced to you last week the idea of taking a coin, a gold-covered dollar coin, and to take this as a memorial. Uh, We don't have any stack of stones, but we said, let's use these little coins. And so I asked... Before we handed these out, I said, we had, we've come to three words that we had just taught on the week before, and I said, let's, let's try to remember those words, and let's utilize them every day, okay? And so the next week, I asked last week, how many of you people use those three words during the week? And the number, if you tallied all of our services together, came to zero, So he gave you this little coin and said, now you take this with you, do what I've done. I carry it with me. I touch my pocket for something. I go, there it is. Oh, good reminder. I set it on the the, uh, arm 
uh, a rest of the place where I have my personal worship. I look at it. It reminds me of the three words. I can walk through them. Now, let me ask a second time now. Watch the difference. How many of you have thought those three words, have used them, and have used this coin, have carried it with you or whatever? Raise your hand if you've done that. You see the difference? That's why God gave a memorial. The snack stones, it's a remembrance. Now, let's rehearse the three words and make my day, okay? <laughs> Word number one is power. Word number two, promise. Number three, presence. You get to understand the power of our God, the greatness of our God. You see him for who he is. Then you listen to his promise. God, what have you promised? Then by spending the time in his presence, the relationship builds, and we begin to find it much easier to step in a direction of faith as God has called us to step. Now we come to, or last week we came to number three, and the topic was following God's procedures. We carried on in Joshua, this time chapter six, and the third principle Faith walking requires a ruthless commitment to do what God says. Now, there are a number of details that help the person who is new to us today to understand because you're jumping in the midst of something we do once every three years or so. And we don't do this except during that time. But we focus on an endeavor I like to think of it as a faith walk as we're defining it this time. We talk about it in different ways. But it's my time as a pastor to try to equip our congregation in understanding how you trust God and particularly applying it, not because our texts are directing us there, but the application to our financial stewardship. Now, we've done this. This is our 12th time over 37 years. I strongly believe it is responsible in great part for this church being a unique church in terms of character, stature, in terms of, of commitment and depth and maturity and faith, I'm telling you. For sure, it's been a primary role for me and Carol. For Carol and me as we have tried to stretch our faith through the years. We call this particular five years, we take every five years of the church this is year 37 through 40. We take each five-year period, 35 through 40 in this case, we give it a name, this one called All In. That's why the video you heard said All In. We're all in. This is phase two, the last three years of the five. And all that we're doing has three components. It has a teaching component. So I have the responsibility to teach you as your pastor. Here's what God's Word has to say. There's a second component. It's the vision casting where I cast the vision before the church and we come to vision awareness. I've been going to many of these. I can't tell you how many times I've sat among somebody or in some people groups and I've been casting this vision for the last few months. We have two more weeks, opportunity for that. And then the third is something that we have to do on our own that we're just trusting all we'll do and that is go before the Lord and have a faith journey as it regards our stewardship of financial resources. It's far more important for everything in life than one area, but there's something about this area that seems to touch all others. And so if you're new with us, I encourage you to understand this. 
Truly the leadership of this church, I say this with integrity, the leadership of this church wants something not from but for you. We're not looking for something from you. We're looking for something for you. It's a faith walk. I was in 1 Peter 5 uh, this week. I'm in uh, 1 Peter in my devotions morning to morning, and, and I was in chapter 5, and it says, Shepherd the flock of God among you. And my first application was, God, I have to shepherd the people that you've put in the, the care of my direction as a pastor of this church to help them in their faith walk. And I've been saying, if anybody questions that we really do want something for you and you're thinking, I really believe they want something from me, then walk through the process, listen, do everything, and then give your money to somebody else and not this church. Because as I stand before my creator one day, and particularly as you do, I want you to be able to say, you know what? My pastor, he told me about that blessing. I, it's not that I didn't know. And so I, I want to be faithful. And I want you to, because I want you to have a great faith walk. Here's the promise that we're looking at. It's in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. The next verses, by the way, talk about, and I will rebuke the devourer for you. Lady came up to me. She said, you know, I just got employed. I've been just struggling, hadn't had employment, and, without, and I realized that now I've got a paycheck, and, and I started looking at the money I had now, and though it's not a lot, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I need to apply this idea of tithing, but well, I don't know how I can with the little bit of money that I have. And, and she said, I just said, Lord, I, I'm going I'm to do it. I'm gonna, but when I tried to work out, my, I couldn't figure it out. I stressed everything I had, and it was, I was just falling a little short. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to figure a way to make me do this because I don't know how to do it. And she said her insurance, which had been the same for several years with the car insurance, came back lower than it had ever been, and they cut some off, and it was the balance that she needed to make her tithe in her very first month. And she said, you know what? I know this isn't prosperity theology. Give a dollar, get a dollar. I know that. But I said, you know what? The scriptures do teach he'll rebuke the devourer, doesn't he? See, it's a promise of God. And there are probably about two camps of us that have a hard time really saying, I can do what you say, God. It's those who make too little money and those who make too much money. Really is. I think it may be harder for those that make a whole lot of money to tithe. Because then, man, that's a whole lot of money. Look what you can do. People make a little bit of money, say, well, that's not that much. Can't do much with it anyway. But but God says, look, I'm putting something in front of you that's a promise. And I'm going to tell you, this is what I'll do. I will pour out a blessing for you. Again, not prosperity theology. He may take from some of us in order that we might be blessed. Now, having looked at all of that, I want us to look at our text. And our text is going to be found in 2 Samuel 24. Before we put anything up, though, I want to uh, give you the title of the message. The message is The Enemy of Faith Walking. And that enemy of faith walking is expressed in the principle four, faith walking's greatest threat is the sin of idolatry. Idolatry. Let me give you a definition of the word idolatry. This is my definition. Anything good or bad, notice good or bad, 
a person counts on, other than Jesus, to find life satisfaction and contentment. Anything we count on. Here's a little expression. Carry it with you. Remember it always. Young people, you want to have a great step on everybody else in life? You remember this. Whatever we count, we typically will count on. Whatever we count, we will typically count on it. Take that one to the bank. The reality is we're going to see the story in Israel of counting. If I were to give a nickname to the title of this message, it's the danger of counting. The danger of counting. Let's look at our uh, text. Now again, the angel of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go about now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and register the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times, as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the king still see. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? He knew what the king was doing was wrong. He knew it. Nevertheless, king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders, even the commanders of the army. They knew it was the wrong thing to do. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register the people of Israel. Now, the very interesting thing is to uh, kind of know the background. Well, let's look at verse 9 too. I want to take you to verse 9. That that kind of caps the, the passage. And Joab gave the number of the registration of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. So you've got well over a million people that are counted. Now here's the interesting thing of the background. The background of this is that David is now an old man. This is the end of his life. And David has, David has had a, an incredible life with ups and downs. And most of you know the story of David. I mean, it was just up and down, up and down, and up and down. If any word would probably now describe at the very end of his life, it's the word stability. Maybe the word blessing, because things were good for him and for Israel. As a result of that, he was in a very vulnerable place. And I want us all to hear that, because the truth is, when we're in a great, great, great place in life, that's when we are most vulnerable. It's when we're down and struggling and challenged and things are hard that we tend to, to say, be on your guard and check out the Lord and what is he doing and God, what will you do and what should I do? And things just seem to be different. He has just finished defeating the Philistines, his major enemy through life. You remember Goliath? This was his family. They've been eradicated. So his great threat is gone. Everything looks so good. And he turns to Joab and he says, hey, let's check and see how many people we got. We got a lot of folks now. Joab said, don't do that. Commander say, don't do that. He said, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it. Now, here's the interesting thing. If what we count on or what we count, we typically count, 
Would you think that maybe they knew that? We're going to see exactly why. Because the problem that he had, what David did that incited the Lord against him and against all of Israel was simply counting the people. He took a census, basically. What is the big deal with the census? Well, I want to tell you what the big deal is, and young people particularly, you that are youth and and young adults, very young, listen to this now. The reason that it's so wrong, if for no other reason, was because God said, don't do it. Now, we're going to see in a minute where God did say not to do it. But assume that there was no word that we could understand as to why. All we know is God says don't do it. Not why, but just don't do it. That really should be all that's necessary. But do you know where we are today in this culture of the Christian church? The the pragmatism of, of the Christian church today thinks like this. You know, if I don't see any way that this hurts somebody else and it appears that this will be beneficial to me, then I don't care even if I do see the scriptures say it's something I shouldn't do or I should do, I'm not going to listen because I don't think it hurts anybody else. And you know what? I think it's a benefit to me. You see it in parenting with children little kids can I will you allow whatever we say no you can't do that and they say why not and we say because and we give a reason certainly if we say because I said not that's not good enough no tell me why and here's the deal if for so many kids if you can't give me a convincing argument if you're going to ask me to stay sexually pure and you can't give me a good enough reason that makes me feel like I'm benefiting and I'm not and I'm hurting somebody else whatever if whatever it is if you can't convince me then I'm not going with it I'm going to do what I think is best for me here's the point if it takes a convincing a convincing reason to get someone to do or not to do what the authority says we're not talking about obedience now We're talking about agreeing. What's happened today is we have a a Christian community who are not made up for a big part throughout the land of holy people. You know why? Because we got a lot of people in church who are not obeying. They're agreeing. And with what they don't agree, that's another area that we just don't obey and we keep going with what we agree with and we become a religious people. And all of us as a Christian community need to understand to be a follower of Christ means that you obey. And you say, God, what do you say? Now, we're going to see why in just a minute. But the issue is not why, but who. Who is it that's saying, yes, you should, no, you shouldn't. And there comes trust, and that's when faith has to come in. Now, having said that, I want to walk through three basic Uh, truths or or realities that I think are going to help us understand our text and they are extremely extremely quick so let's go through them number one in and of itself counting was not immoral got to know that nothing wrong with counting in and of itself 
Moses, on two occasions, was required by God to do the very thing that David now is going to be punished for what he does. Very interesting. Enough said on that. Number two. For kings, keep this in mind, this is for kings, counting was very seductive, usually leading to misplaced confidence. So we're going to see a rule, a forbiddance of counting for a king. When we apply it to us, it's not that counting is wrong, but for all, it's going to be very seductive, leading to misplaced confidence. Typically, it would give rise to things like exploitation for kings or or racism, materialism, pride, and so forth. So, as we said earlier, whatever we count, we will typically count on. And that is basically what idolatry is. Which takes us to our third and final point. Have you ever gone through three points of a teaching this quick? This is great. Number three, when counting was permitted, special caution was to be taken. So, meaning it was permitted from time to time. I want to have you look it up, but Exodus chapter 30 verse 12 tells us that when the king was told you should take a census, there was then to be a ransom for every single soul that was counted. Do you know that? Here's what he's saying. All right, you are to count. Now, remember, there's a million How many hundred thousand? I didn't count the two of Israel and Judah together. You put those together, though, over a million people. And there was to be one animal sacrificed for every person counted. You know why? Because it brought a sobriety and a sense of of concern and care and caution by thinking, oh, my goodness, we have to do this census because God said to do it. But look what happens. We have to slay all of these animals. And it was a way to bring a sense of concern and, and sobriety to the whole function of counting. Sometimes it has to be done. But when it is to be done, it's to be done with great caution, concern, and even almost a painful experience to have to do it. That's how serious it was that God would say, I don't want you to be counting unless it is absolutely necessary. Now, we see that with David. We see it with Saul. Saul did the same thing with the Amalekites. I mean, the exact same thing. And uh, so you see it with two kings that literally blow it because they want to count. Well, why did they want to count so badly? Because their counting of people translated to economic strength. Which gets back to the challenge for all of us. We want strength economically. All of us do. And some have great abilities to make. And some have much less ability to make. And so we're, we're saying, I need, I need, I need. And look what I've got. And I want more. Can I do this? How can I do? Is there anything wrong with that? No. It depends on, though, what's going to happen by what you do which is going to take us now to the third and the final thing I'd like to do, or the the last thing I'd like to do here, and that is I want to give you three thoughts. These are by way of application. Three thoughts that, biblically speaking, we can say are realities. Number one, for you and me, having an abundance is not immoral. 
I don't think anybody's ever heard me through the 37 years here at Perimeter ever teach, ever say, by the way, if you've got a whole bunch, you need to be ashamed of yourself. You need to get rid of what you got because it's wrong. That's not biblical. I can take you throughout the whole of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and show you where God would specifically give abundance to some of the greats through the history of God's people. He's doing it today. There's abundance given to many. Many in this church have abundance. Relatively speaking to the people of the world, we all have abundance. There's nothing immoral about that, and we need to remember that. There is nothing immoral. Number two, yet Scripture does repeatedly teach us that wealth is very seductive, often leading to misplaced confidence or what we're calling idolatry. I like to think of it this way. Nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with a lot of money. But know this, that a lot of money has some very, she has some very, very mean cousins. I mean, her cousins will, boy, they'll take you down without a thought. And so again, nothing wrong with the money, but if you got the money, resources, I don't care what area it is, financial or beyond, when you have a whole bunch of resources, what happens? you got a whole bunch of adversaries that are relatives to a good thing called money. And you got to be turning around and watching all the time. Is pride going to get me here? Is, you know, is materialism going to get me here? Is, is this going to get me? Is that going to get me? What's going to get me? And you got to always, always, always be careful. And I say that to every one of us because we're all, to some degree, relatively speaking, we're wealthy people. I think the reality is the more our resources, the more cautious we need to be. There's a sense in which we're without resources. That's when the caution is not so high in terms of these relatives because, man, sometimes it's in the greatest challenges of life that we have the greatest experience of growth and faith and the things that we need. So there's just a correlation. We have to be careful which leads to number three. When abundance is permitted by God, special caution is to be taken. So let me just take you to a few scriptures. First of all, uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You notice it's not money, it's the love of it. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Go to verse 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, and those are the temptations, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, and that's in heaven, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed." I could take you to Hebrews 13, could take you to Matthew 6 and uh, uh, Timothy again. I mean, there's so many places over and over, just cautious, caution, 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 caution. I think our caution has a lot of different names in Scripture. It might be stewardship, generous giving, uh, first fruits, tithing. Don't know what it may be. I know this. I had two men that blessed me as pastors before I came to Perimeter Church. I had several men, three men particularly, but these two particularly, they impacted me in this area. One said to me, Randy, 
Give as much as you can give away. Give it away. I'll never forget that. That's before I ever had anything. I didn't even have an income. He said, give it away. God will bless you. You're going to have, you're going to have plenty. Give it away. It'll be your best thing you can do for yourself. Just get away. As much as you can give away, give it away. Another man, that man was Frank Barker, Briarwood Church in Birmingham. The other man, Don Patterson, he's with the Lord. Don Patterson taught me as a single while I was in graduate school, and I'd go to the church where he pastored. And he would beg us. He'd say, y'all, you promised to God. Just give him a promise by faith of something that you can't imagine how you could ever have. But if he'd supply it, you'll give it on. And watch your faith increase. And I began by just taking a little something. Lord, would you supply this? And I'll give it to this cause or this missionary or this need or this whatever. And I would ask him. I always come. If it didn't come, I said, I don't know anything. You didn't provide it. I guess I'm not supposed to give it. But when he provided, boy, was there a story to be told in my life. And let me tell you what. Parents, our kids so need to hear of faith stories in our life. You know, they're not, they're not needing to see wealth. They need to see God's provision. They don't need to see, you know, success. They need to see faith. And so they're just begging for stories. And where do those stories come from? Well, what if we were to say, God, if you will, then I'll, I'll tell your story forever. You know, there are kids that are just so needing to see that their parents believe God for stuff that's not easy, that they obey, they don't just agree. Oh, I agree with that, therefore let's not do it. God says so. But when, but when it's an arena of obeying, when, uh-oh, I don't, they need to see here's where they obeyed. They didn't just agree. Something happens to kids. You want your kids to grow up strong. Let them have, let them have some faith stories. No guarantee they're going to grow up strong, but it's the best chance to have it happen. They need that so very, very badly. I know for Carol and me, it's been incredibly important. I want to read, as I'm getting ready to close, I want to read a, uh, a church member wrote me this week. I'll put it that way. Somebody I, I didn't know until I asked permission to, could I use this? And they were so glad, said, feel free. Didn't write it for that purpose. But this is what they told me. God put it on my heart to share this testimony with you in light of your current sermon series. In the spring 2013, I joined Perimeter Church. I'd not been a tither, even in my previous church. After a difficult divorce in 2007, I had over $100,000 in college debt that I had incurred to send my, ch my two children through school. I was proud to have done that, but it was costly. I always felt constrained by my debt and thought that God wanted me to get rid of that debt before committing to the tithe. After attending membership class and hearing your and Carol's story, I began to feel that I, should, that I was not being faithful. I remained a slave to my debt. So in the summer of 2013, I prayed about it and committed to working toward the tithe by giving a couple of hundred dollars per month and then increased it gradually 
and so on. By the end of 2013, I had more business than I knew what to do with and was paying off the debt at a faster rate than I'd ever been able to do before. I've never believed in prosperity theology and never have seen a tithe in that way. So I have to say, I was a little surprised. Was God really blessing me with more money? Maybe he was really trying to show me that he was in control. And then this person goes on to say what happened in year 2014. And we're talking about incredible challenges, painful hardships. After telling that story, picks up and says, the reason I'm telling you this is because, that is about the 2014 story. The reason I'm telling you this is because it was revealed to me that God was not trying to show me that if I gave money to him, he would bless me tenfold with more money. I firmly believe he was trying to teach me how to have absolute and complete faith in him. He knew what was coming in 2014. He knew I needed to have absolute faith. He prepared me first by convincing me of the tithe and showing me his unfailing presence. I firmly believe it was through that exercise that he was increasing my faith for the coming year. So, you're right in teaching the flock that the tithe isn't about increasing our financial position, but about increasing our faith. I experienced firsthand that when you trust, he will give you more than you thought. But way more importantly are the leaps and bounds I experienced in my faith walk. Let me conclude with this. Many people who are preaching, many preachers at this point say, okay, I think you understand the text. Maybe you didn't, now you do, and this is why God said it, and this is what he said, and here's how you apply it. But let me tell you, biblical preaching has not yet been done unless you take the people to the cross of Jesus Christ. Every week you're going to see here, let's go to the cross. You see, if you want to take a faith walk, you've got to have you got to have faith. Where do you get faith? It's, it's a work of grace that God gives you faith. It's a gift undeserved. Well, how does that come about? It comes about by coming before the cross of Christ, then in the work of Christ, what he did, and seeing his love for us. That's where it begins. If you're not on a faith walk, if you're here and you say, I haven't started a faith walk, well, where do you start? Well, you've got to take a first step. Well, how do you get that first step? I'd say this. I would look at the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and realize his life was for me. And then once you begin to see that and you begin to embrace it, his love for us, God opens our heart, and that's when we receive his spirit within us. That gives us a new moral ability. To what? To follow him by faith. And we begin to start the faith walk. As a Christian, it's still by grace. It's a work of faith by grace. Well, what, what causes that? It's the work of God's Spirit in us. He empowers us. He indwells our heart when we become a Christian. And now, as we understand his power, we keep seeing who he is. And we, and we start thinking of his promises. And we say, this is the God that loves me. And then you spend enough time with him. What happens? You begin to inch out in faith a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. That's how the faith walk works. You just keep little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. It always goes back to his work of grace and his sacrifice. So next week, we wrap this series up with number five, and here's what it says. The secret to faith walking. 
Here's where we'll see it next week. Faith walking always follows the path of repentance, grace, and sacrifice. You see, I see this whole series as one sermon. And I I feel bad that you get one piece and then you get the next piece. But when you put it all together, it's the last piece of this text that we'll look at that's going to take you to see the unusual sacrifice of Christ that's being looked forward to in the Old Testament. And that's how the faith walk of the Israelites work. We'll look at that next week. But I'm going to invite you now to close in prayer with me. And as we pray, I'm going to invite you who without a faith walk to simply say, God, I would like to begin a faith walk. Just tell him that and invite him to show you his love through the cross of Jesus Christ. For all of us as Christians that are here, would we say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm committed now. I want to take a step of faith and I'm going to, I'm going to do this walk. Lord, by your grace, give me the faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we say thank you for the work of our Savior Jesus that you would send your Son. Lord, I'm going to ask you now, would you please enable any of us here who are without the faith walk yet to hear us as we'd say, God, please give it to me. I know I'm an eternal creature and I'll live forever and you're God and I want to know you now and I want to know you then and so Lord I invite you show me your love that I might respond in love to you and Lord I pray for all of us that are Christians here that you might give us the courage and strength and will and ability everything necessary by your grace because of the work of Christ that we might take a new step of faith and you're going to do something in our hearts so grant it we pray And when we conclude this next week, may we have a sense of deep understanding of the great grace that enables this faith. And we thank you in the wonderful name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I have kept these uh, last three minutes or so to uh, give you some information. This puts our church kind of in alignment where we're going from here. Four things. So hang on. It's a lot of information. But number one is on the 9th of November... We're going to have what we'll call our Commitment Sunday, and that's where we get to, we finished our faith walk endeavor that you've been hearing about, and we'll be learning about it to vision awareness. If you've not been there, you'll be invited to come to that. But, but uh, just to end it all, we're going to come together, and it's going to be a grand service. In fact, we're going to do some very special things that week. We would like to have everybody here in the main for our services. So the hangar service that goes on now, also the services in the chapel right now. They will all come among us, which means we're going to ask that if a few hundred of you can come to the 9 o'clock instead of the 1045, if you can, we need that because so many of those other folks will be in here and we don't want to overflow. So if we can do that, that's going to be a great, great benefit. It's going to be special. I think you're going to be here. That's the 9th, okay? Second thing is the coins. Remember the coin that I showed you. The coins are available for anybody who needs them. They'll be in the foyer, so feel free to, any of our foyers will have them. Pick one up as you leave. Get one for your children if they would be able to utilize one. But know this, we're bringing them back, okay? They're going to come back on the 9th, and we're going to be able to gift these. These will all be given back into kingdom investment where that will be matched to, to help people in need somewhere among us, around us through ministry. So... This is going to be something that we will use to give back and leverage as it will have a matching 
given to it. So uh, keep that in mind that you would bring that back. Number three. Number three is uh, regarding fasting and prayer. We've been having elder and deacon prayer every morning for the last month, Monday through Friday. And uh, we've been meeting in different groups uh, here at the chapel uh, in the morning, 645 to 730. When we come to the, the week of the ninth, so the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th through that week, Monday through Friday, we invite the whole church, anybody that will come, 645 to 730 to join us for prayer. And we're just praying about the issues of our community and our church. And as we walk through this faith endeavor together, it's going to be a prayer time. It's also going to be a week of fasting for us. doesn't mean that you'll fast all week, but it might be for a meal. It might be for something other than food. It may be we're going to have all the instruction to help you. You can go online right now, anytime, to perimeter.org slash fasting. And you will see there a full message that I've left online, put online there that you could pick up and learn everything that I've learned through fasting through the years and know about fasting. It'll all be there, the biblical side of it, the practical side. And I also did about a five-minute just real overview. It won't give you all the detail, but that'll be there too if you only have five minutes. But pick up one of those two. Next week, we're going to have a little piece for you on fasting that's going to be very, very helpful. Some of you may have such a week that week that you can't fast that week. That's my experience. That week is just really what I have that week would not be a, a right week for me to fast. So I spent last week fasting, and I'll tell you, it was a tremendous benefit to me. I told Carol that I said, boy, this was really a great help to me personally, and it was. So uh, I think you'll see why if you're not experienced in fasting, of course, just start small, but it's a wonderful way to commune with God, and you'll learn more about that. Lastly... That is, we have the three pieces, basically, to all that we're doing. We have the teaching that I'm doing, and the second piece is vision awareness. Third is what you choose to do in your own faith time alone. This is the vision awareness. We've been through numerous ones of these already. Now we've got two more that are on our calendar, that have been on our calendar, one tonight at 6.30, and the next, next Sunday night at 6.30. We are adding to, the response has been fabulous. The people have been coming out, many of you know. And we're going to add two, and that'll be the fourth and fifth, I think of the days, Tuesday and Wednesday night here at the church at seven. Now, all of that can be found if you go on perimeter.org slash all in, and you can actually register at that time, okay? And if you can't register, you forget to register, just show up. But know that all the dates are there and everything. And the goal is that every person who makes perimeter of their church, member and otherwise, would all come. And I'm telling you, you'll be glad you came. The response has been overwhelming. And people saying, this has been so, I had no idea. Wow, this is so good to know. You come. And I think you'll see where your church is headed over the next three years. And I think you'll enjoy it. Okay? A lot of information. And hopefully that helps you kind of know where we're going over these next weeks. Be praying. It's going to be a great finale to our all-in effort. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.